You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Hey, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as we begin the series 5G, um, that we would be uh, people of God, authentic followers, people of God who are glorifying, gracious, growing, generous, and Grateful, and tonight we want to take a look at the uh, the whole concept of um, how do we glorify God? What does that look like, and what difference would that really make in our lives if we were on fire, full, one hundred percent fired up for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? That word authentic is uh, very popular these days. You, you hear it all over the place and, and you see it in a number of areas. If you uh, buy a piece of art, you want to know that it is authentic. If uh, you buy a uh, picture of a, a sports athlete, you want to know that um, I mean, he signs it. You, you want to make sure that it's authentic. Um, when you go and buy an antique, you want to make sure that it in fact is an antique. It's authentic because its value is all tied to its authenticity. And um, 5G will be a series for us as we consider what we look like as followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, the first one we will look at is glory. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read starting at verse 23, although our message tonight is really based out of verse 31. Here's what it says. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word tonight and the privilege to hold it in our hands, to open it up. And now, Lord, to focus on this principle of your glory and how do we glorify you as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? Teach us from your word, Lord. Would you give us ears that we would hear your word tonight, minds that we could understand it, and then, Lord, passionate hearts to live out as authentic followers of Jesus Christ for the fame of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, context, context, context. We're big about that around here. And and tonight's message is going to be more of a topical message than walking through all of these verses. But um, I read the text so that you would get some sense to the context of uh, what Paul was talking about. It was a a very practical thing and trying to help them understand what if you get caught in this situation and and what would you do and make sure that you don't cause an offense for someone. We don't want anyone to fall. But then when it really comes right down to it, when when he brings it right down to the end, he goes like, hey, in every area of your life, 
It doesn't matter, doesn't matter whether you're eating or drinking, because that was the topic there, or whatever you're doing, do all for the glory of God. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so our series is the distinctives. So that's what makes us different. The distinctives of an authentic, that's undisputed, original, not a copy or fake. The distinctives of an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. We all hate it when we come across people who are phonies. And that we've been that, if we're honest, sometimes in our lives. Uh, Sue and I had the privilege to be in uh, Turkey in 2013 and Ephesus, and we were in a marketplace there that day. And to put the picture up on the screen, I couldn't believe this sign. Um, genuine fake watches. Um, <laughs> what is a genuine fake watch? Well, it looked like the real thing, and it was a genuine fake watch. Um, Dave and Sonia were with us at that, and we just laughed at that and took the picture. I knew I could use it somewhere in a sermon series, and uh, here it is. Now, if you want to be authentic, you're not buying your watch at that place, because whatever it says on the front of it is not really what's going on inside, right? And uh, we want to be about being authentic as we follow Jesus Christ. The distinctives of an authentic follower, what makes us different, what makes us real? How do we glorify God? The chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So some things we want to look at tonight, four things. Here's the first one, glorifying God by looking upward. Glorifying God by looking upward. If we're ever going to take hold of this and really understand what it means to glorify God, it doesn't really begin by looking inward. We're going to see that in a minute, but it begins by as we look up. A.W. Tozer in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said, What comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God, what comes into your mind? Uh, for some people who are feeling under the pressure, it might be God doesn't care about me anymore. Uh, for some people, you're like, oh, it's just a whole bunch of rules and a whole bunch of, this is what I got to do if I'm going to be happy in life. And for other people, it's like, God is judging me. Uh, for some people, it might be, God is glorious. For some people, it might be, God is the one who saves. And I was separated from God and I had no hope. And for other people, God is holy and what came into your mind as your first thought about God? Because it says so much about you. God is so much bigger than being big or cool or amazing or awesome. In uh, James McDonald's book, The Vertical Church, he talks about transcendence. Um, I love that word. It's the action or fact of transcending, surmounting, or rising above. The attribute of being above and independent, and independent of the universe. And so you think about all the things you can think about God, and you go, I've barely scrapped the stretch of surface because God transcends all of those things. We glorify God. In the Old Testament, the word means we radiate or we exalt him. 
Uh, we had a great discussion in the office this, this week about what's the difference between glorifying God and worshiping God. And quite frankly, they're so interwoven, you can't really completely pull them apart. But when you go back and look at the words, the word glorify God means to radiate or to exalt him. The word in the Old Testament that was about worship meant that we come under him. When you understand who God is, of course you come under him. And so we're going to use the words a little bit interchangeably tonight because we only have one message on this topic. But in our lives, we're called to be people who are giving God the glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, it's a subject that we could stay on until Jesus comes back, and we've got about 10 minutes in the message for it. So I'm going to kind of put our focus on three things. Here's the first thing. You want to think about how you can uh, glorify God. Uh, Think about his names. Just think about his names. Um, In the Old Testament, some of those names were Elohim, and there are other words that went around to describe that, but it meant the, the strong one. God is the strong one. Uh, We prayed before we came down here as the elders that uh, God would be our strength. See, I find in my own life when I ask God to give me strength that sometimes I can be there, well, look what I did. But when God is my strength, and and that's what that word is about, is that, that God is the strong one. The other word, the obvious one, is the word Yahweh. It means to exist, to be. It's about God and his independence and self existence. He is everything. Uh, You can think about God as Adonai. Um, It's the idea of master or owner. It stresses man's relationship to God as his master and the authority and the provider. And so as you think about God, uh, some of those Old Testament words, and there are all kinds of uh, parts that went on to it that he was uh, God my provider and God my banner and God, my shield, and all of those things were built on as we think about exalting God and putting him out there for who he is as best we can. In the New Testament, there was four different words that were used. The first one was the primary name that is used for God, and um, he's just addressed as God. He was also called Lord. It stressed his authority and supremacy, and that really compared more to the word Yahweh in the Old Testament. There was another word that was used to describe him where he is called master. It brings the idea of his ownership for us. And then in the New Testament, way more than in the Old Testament, we have this whole idea of God being my father. A word like that to describe God in the Old Testament was used 15 times. A word to describe God as my father in the New Testament is used 245 times. And it speaks of the relationship that we have with him. And so as we come to understanding that we would be people of God whose distinctives are that we are authentic, we want to be authentic about who God is and he gets the glory. And we can begin that by looking at his, just at his names. We can also do it by looking at some of the attributes that he has. Attributes are descriptions from scripture that define the way that God has revealed himself to us. Really, there are two kinds of attributes. There are incommunicable ones and communicable ones. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Paul? Well, let me tell you. Incommunicable are the attributes that only God has. Communicable attributes are those that humans possess to a degree. Um, 
God is a God, we'll come through the list, but God is a God of grace. And we're supposed to be people who demonstrate grace. That's a communicable. But the incommunicable is, um, I checked, and I'm not omnipotent. I checked, and I'm not omnipresent. Although a couple weeks ago, as I was eating an apple in the green room and realized I was preaching in Newmarket at the same time, I wondered for a moment. And then I remembered we have video. I'm not omnipresent. I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipotent. Those things belong only to God. So what are some of the attributes of God? Well, really quick, because we don't have time again to go into all of them tonight. We're talking about how we get our focus on who God is. And you can go back and study and see these things. God is eternal. He had no beginning. And he has no end. He's immutable. It means he's unchanging. I change so often. I am so inconsistent. But God is always reliable. He is always trustworthy. God's incomparable. There's no one like him in his work or being. He's unequaled and perfect. God is unfathomable. He's unsearchable. He's past finding out. God is just. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. We talked about those. God alone is worthy. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. God is righteous, meaning that God cannot and will not pass over wrongdoing. He is righteous. God is jealous. God is jealous. And so often in our world, world jealousy is, is tied to our own pride and what we think we deserve and um, I'm not getting what I want or you've got something, your eyes on something that belongs to me and, and I become jealous and it's sin. But God is never sinful in his jealousy because it's all his. It all belongs to him. We grab onto and think we hold onto it and, and God says, no, I'm jealous of some of these things because they're mine. I own them. Give him glory. He's a jealous God. He's a sovereign God, meaning he's supreme. All of his creation put together, cannot thwart God's purposes. All of the things that we seek to do to set God off on a path. God is sovereign. He is spirit. God is a trinity. God is truth. God is holy. He's separated from all moral defilement and hostility toward it because our God is holy. God is gracious. His graciousness includes his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his love. And if it were not for God's grace, his holiness would exclude us from his presence. But he is gracious. When you think of the names of God, does it make you stop and go, God is awesome. And when you think about the attributes of God, who he is, does it drive you to your knees understanding that God is in heaven and you are in earth and it's only by his grace that we even have another breath, but he pours it out on us over and over and over again in his goodness to us. 
When you think about God and his names and his attributes, we've only scratched the surface of who he really is. He is far above all of that. He, is, he transcends all of it. When we put it all together the best we can, we barely scratch the surface of understanding who God is. Should drive us to our knees to worship him and give him glory. We take a look at him. We see his names. We see his attributes. Here's one more thing we see. We see the working of God. We see the way that he works. Here's three things I picked out. He, his work in creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God created the heavens and the earth. We believe this book from cover to cover. We believe that God was the creator. I'm not some glob that formed on the side of the ocean, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I was just trying to think about how my eye works. How did I get from being a rock to this? I'll tell you how. God created the heavens and the earth. God is holy. God is in heaven. He is the one who deserves all of the glory. He is the creator, the working of God in creation. How about this, the working of God in the word of God. In this church, we believe this book from cover to cover. We believe from Genesis 1 right through to the end of Revelation. We don't leave any parts out. We don't think that um, Jonah was some kind of a fishy tale that didn't happen. We believe God said it. We believe it happened. We believe the Red Sea opened and the people walked through. We believe God created in six days, just as the word of God says he did. The guy who was the um, editor, at least, of Genesis, I already read you the verse in Exodus 20, as he's giving us the Ten Commandments, he talks about Six days, in six days. We're like, well, that's not what the world says. What well, do you think the world is going to agree with what God's word says? Do you think the world is ever going to stand with God's word? God gave us his word. The Old Testament, all of it, pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament in the gospels revealing who the Savior was and why he came and what he did, what he did. And then the rest of the New Testament showing us how we live out our faith God wrote a book and he gave it to us and it's his word. We proclaim the authority of God's word and we don't apologize for that because God wrote a book. That's part of his working and his creation in the word and then the amazing, amazing work of God in his son, Jesus Christ. In the bumper, the words, went by, the words went by really quick as you saw it, but talked about glorifying. It said, bought by Christ, we are not our own. Glory to God, I was bought by Christ. I am not my own. Around here, I love to use the Romans Road as we talk about the gospel because it helps people to understand that, that they can just take some verses and make the gospel plain so people can understand it. 
In Genesis, man fell in sin and he's separated from God. And a sacrifice, it has to be a perfect sacrifice, sacrifice is going to be required so that the price for my sin can be paid. The gulf is too great. God's standard for me to stand before him is going to be no sin. I don't know all of you in the room, but I know enough of you in the room that uh, none of you get close to meeting that standard. None of us. There's none righteous, no, not one, Romans says. For all have sinned and fall short of what? Of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart. And you will be saved. In Ephesians, Paul wrote, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's not of your works. It's not of what you have done. It's a gift from God so that nobody could ever boast. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to demonstrate the glory of God? Accept the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, you will be saved. If we're going to glorify God, we've got to be people who look upward. Look upward by trying to take hold of his names and his attributes and his working. Here's the next thing. If we're going to glorify God, we need to do it by looking inward. Uh, quickly on this, but um, Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now think about the way God knit you together and who you are. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Also in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when we fall in our sin and when we feel so dirty and we feel so hopeless, we cry out, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, God. I before you on the floor because I deserve nothing and in your glory you give me all of it. When David fell in his sin with Bathsheba, Excuse me. Yeah, with Bathsheba. Thank you. And Nathan confronts him. And in Psalm 51, he takes hold of it and says, don't take your spirit from me, God. And he says, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. To understand the glory of God, we have to take a good look at ourselves and we have to take hold of the sin that is there and we have to be willing to come and confess our sin knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and, and not just once or twice. God knows who we are. God knows our struggle and the 70 times seven, which is so far in the rear view mirror for me and, and yet God's grace continues to pour out and his grace continues to pour out grace upon grace upon grace as God lavishes that out on me and 
You want to glorify God, we glorify God as we take a look at ourselves and, and deal with the sin that we find in our lives. Because if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all, all in amount and all in all kinds. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We talked last week about Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God as your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Every day, renewing of our mind. Satan wants our mind. Repentance really happens when there's a change of mind, not just a change of direction. It's part of it. Repentance is I'm going this way and I go this way. The problem is we get like, we're going around in circles because we never change our mind about things. And an inward look of understanding who God is causes us to change our mind. In John 3.30, John the Baptist was speaking and he said, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. If I want to bring glory to God, it's going to be about less of me, Lord, and more of you, Lord. Less of my priorities and what I want and more of your priorities and what you want and but I want, to, I want to make a lot of money and I want to have, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. And there, I want to have a lot of things. Well, there's nothing wrong with things. The question is, do things have you? And the problem is, is God raised up in these things or are you being raised up in these things? And as John is seeing the role that Jesus Christ is going to have, he's like, you see that guy over there? He must increase. He must increase. I must decrease. So what would be the one thing in your life last week? If you were to go back and look at it and go, yeah, you know what? I didn't get it right there. Uh, the, the fight I had with my wife, I was on my agenda. I certainly wasn't on her agenda and I certainly wasn't on the Lord's agenda. He must increase. I must decrease. The business deal that you wanted to do and you wondered, do I cut corners or do I? He must increase. I must decrease. God gets the glory when we make him the center of the focus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. I love that word. It means becoming holy. Salvation, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, is a work that's done. It's finished. It's never taken away. And those who are saved are saved. But sanctification yeah, that's a trip that we're all going on every day, moving forward a little bit each day. And we don't do it perfectly and we struggle with it. I like to call it stumbling forward or whatever you want to call it. But it's like, I'm moving forward for the glory of God. That's my desire, but I don't do it perfectly. And sometimes I fall down and, and the Lord picks me up and I move forward again. As we look inward, we need to be people of God who are being sanctified Set apart the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to any man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, always being prepared. I glorify God when I took a, take a good look at me, when I took a look inward and then do the things that God calls me to do out of his word and through the prompting of his spirit. So I glorify God as I look upward. I glorify God as I look inward. Here's another one. We glorify God as we look, we look outward. 
to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. That's the vision statement of our church. There's three C's I want you to see in this as we think about looking outward. I'm sure there's all kinds of other things you could draw out of them, but um, here's three general ones. The first one is um, looking outward. The first one is the commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We glorify God when we fulfill the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us to do. Go and make disciples. Ephesians 2 says people are dead in their trespasses and sins and God makes them alive. I can't save anyone. What I can do is preach the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ puts that on you. God's spirit works in you and you come to a place of understanding the gospel and believing and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot save you. I cannot. God does. His spirit does. What I can do is be a vessel that's used to make disciples. And that part of that is in the gospel of a faithful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then as we move forward, it's about what do disciples look like and how do we grow up in Christ? And one of the things I love about what we say at, at Harvest, it's like, if, if we as the leaders, as a church, we take care of the depth of discipleship, the Lord God will take care of the breadth of discipleship. If we get it right about what God's called us to be, we won't have to worry about will people come to the Lord Jesus Christ because every one of us, as God is doing that in our life, is becoming a vessel that's being used to be a light for the glory of God. And people will ask us for the reason of the hope that is in us. And the gospel will go out and people will be saved. Don't get me wrong. I'm never standing up here and not preaching the gospel and hoping it's going to come because we just try and build deep disciples. We need to be about the gospel. But God will grow his church as we do the great commandments. We go and make disciples we need to look outward. We need to be people about the commission. It needs to be beyond our four walls. It needs to be beyond this community. It needs to be a to Newmarket. It needs to be to Romania. It needs to be to Haiti. It needs to be to the uttermost parts of the earth, everywhere that God allows us to have a place, to have a, an influence. We need to have a view for that because as we look upward and then look inward and see what God has called us to be and what he's done in us. It needs to give us a vision now to look outward and we begin in the commission. Go and make disciples. It continues in what I've called the commandment, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If the love of Jesus Christ at Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region is confined to the inside of these walls and the sphere of that we have with each other, then shame on us. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. This is the way that people will see you are my disciples by the way you treat each other. I love the fact that in this church, we don't claim to have the corner on the truth. God's word is truth. And everybody who proclaims the word of God is proclaiming the truth. We're all going for the same thing. I can't wait to get to heaven to see who's there. 
but it'll be people who have heard the word of God. It'll be people who have bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we need to be a, a people of God who are looking outward and in love with people who love Jesus Christ. We glorify God by looking outward. We do that in the commission and the commandment. And then one other place we do that, we do that in the church. We do that in the church. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. People are down on the church these days. You hear it all the time. Be very careful when you diss the bride. Church is not my idea. Church isn't your idea. The church isn't some guru who wrote a book's idea. The church is God's idea. And Christ is the head of the church. And as imperfect as we might be, as much as we might struggle, as much as we might need to forgive each other, and as much as we might stumble on together, this wasn't our idea, this was God's idea. And so we're going to be 100% committed to the church. This is what God has called us to. And we want to bring glory to God, then do it through the church. I just opened my 13th wedding file on the go right now. Our church is filled with young adults and apparently they're getting to know each other and I guess the next thing is they want to get married so hold on tight because the nursery's going to explode in about two more years because God's doing the thing because I got 13 I know of at least two more that are coming and every couple we meet with at some point along the way we challenge them with this. You remember that your marriage is a picture of Christ and his church uh, Sue and I, every day in our lives, as you watch us, not perfect, but our marriage is to be a picture of Christ in the church. When people see us, they should be drawn to Christ because of the way our marriage is. The, the distinctive of an authentic follower are people who glorify God. We do that by looking upward. We do that by looking inward. We do that by looking outward. And we see that in the church. And in our church, we try and take that and wrap it around some things that people can understand. Our church is about four pillars and three W's. Four pillars and three W's. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. I'm never saying sorry for what God said. I may not understand it always. It might be hard to deliver, but it's God's word. And we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. If you get that wrong and you, pro and you proclaim it without apology, you can sound like you're arrogant. You know, we're not gonna be arrogant. We're gonna be loving and we're gonna be truthful. We're gonna care. We're gonna weep together but we're not gonna wuss out on what God's word says. 
We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. We lift high the name of Jesus in worship. Our worship is very vertical. The songs we sing, by and large, could be a prayer. We, we sing songs that are really talking to God. We don't sing a lot of join hands and sing kumbaya kind of songs around here. The, the worship that we have is vertical. We want God to be the focus of our worship. It doesn't mean we never sing a song that has, doesn't have um, horizontal implications. Of course we do. But the focus is on Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. Believing firmly in the power of prayer. Uh, do you know why God is doing what he's doing in our church? Well, of course, it's because you're such a great pastor. Eh. Absolutely wrong answer to that question. It's because God's people have been praying. And we've had a focus on what God's called us to. And we're going to take his word and we're going to proclaim it. And we're going to make our worship about who he is and what he's called us to. And we're going to watch God build his church. But we're going to be people who believe firmly in the power of prayer. And then the last pillar is we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ and we'll do it with boldness. We're going to talk about who Jesus is. I need to talk about Jesus with my neighbor. I need to talk about Jesus with my coworkers. I understand in the right context, in the right place, at the right time. But, but we're going to do it and we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll do it with boldness because we understand that if they don't come to know Christ, they're going to be separated from him for eternity. And although I cannot change anyone's life, I can plant the seed. I can do my part and allow God then to do his work in his way. Do it for his glory. Four pillars, three W's, that we be people who worship Christ. That's the glory part. Worship him, gathering together like this, focused on who Christ is, that we'll be people who walk with Christ, how we do life together, how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds and small groups and in fellowship and in serving together. I will worship, I will walk, and then I will work for Christ. Lord, what have you called me to do to serve in the church? All as we glorify God by looking outward. Here's the cool thing. We glorify God by looking forward. We spent last summer in Psalm 23. It ended with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Philippians, Paul writes, I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. More and more, focus on what is coming. Understanding this world is not my home. We're just passing through. We are bound for glory. See, the first distinctive of an authentic follower is one who seeks to glorify God. So give yourself a one out of 10 score on how you did that last week. If you give yourself a 10, you've got an arrogance problem, just so you know, right? So how did you do in your life? I'm not what I was. I'm not what I will be. I'm not even what I should be. But best I can, I will glorify God. Did he get the glory in the workplace? Did he get the glory in your home? Did he get the glory in your time alone when no one was watching? I will glorify God. Well, so what? 
So what? The goal at the end of all of this is that we would be and that this church would be filled with people who are glorifying, gracious, growing, generous, and grateful. We begin the journey by being people of God who seek to give him the glory, to extol him, to give him the honor, to come under his bigness in our worship, to see how he transcends everything that we could even imagine. And we do it by looking upward and inward and outward and forward. It'll change your life. It'll change your family. Change your community. It'll change our city. And God help us, it'll change our world. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word and we thank you for it. We thank you for that one verse in the context of how do we live our lives. And Paul's trying to help these people in Corinth to come under some things and understand them. And he just kind of sums it up so well and so well for us when he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Father, your name is higher. Your attributes are so much beyond your working is past our comprehending, but you've done it for us, and we give you the glory. Father, we realize what you've done in changing us, and we're asking, God, that you would do even more. We're asking you to do it by beginning and creating in us a clean heart and getting us right, but, but Lord, there's a world out there. There's a world out there that's so messed up. Our city, our government, they're, they're leading in ways of unrighteousness and you've called us to righteousness. It will happen when the people of God are first faithful to you, where you get the fame, where you get the glory. So do a work, God. Begin it in me and then change. Change our city as only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.